and two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford um, for the, of the Jacob. Um, after he had set out, sent them across the stream, he sent, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and, it was limp and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. This is the word of the Lord. as we've opened the scriptures. You would speak words of life to us. That your spirit would open our hearts to hear what you have to say and we'd know what to do. In your name, amen. Well, Becky, that was a really excellent question you asked us. Uh, Of course, without ingredients, it was quite hard to know. What, but it's so good how you test, test our creativity in that way to, to know. Um, I, uh, this, this was going to be a talk on giving, on money and giving. Um, but Lulu and I have had food poisoning. Uh, so the, the giving talk is something you can look forward to in a couple of weeks. Who doesn't look forward to talks on money in church? So that's something you can look forward to in a, in a couple of, of weeks. But tonight we're going to talk about prayer. Um, don't worry, I'm not infectious. It was from a, a, a restaurant. I won't say which, I don't want to get sued, but uh, it serves chicken, so you can, you can think about that. Um, in 2018, in November, I went to Israel on a trip uh, with some other pastors and church leaders from different parts of the UK. And our friend had arranged it. And people go, obviously, for all kinds of reasons. You know, some people just like to go to the beach in the Holy Land and enjoy Tel Aviv. Others caught up in the reality of the political situation go for all kinds of reasons there. And and Christians go, of course, uh, as Jews from all over the world, would go to see the the religious sites. Where we ended up, the climax of our trip, was not a place where you would normally go, because it was a car park halfway up the country. But the guy who'd arranged it had a particular thing about Jacob and the story we'd just read. And he wanted to pray with us and pray through this story. And the particular inspiration that he had was a poem, uh, a poem called The Man Watching, which you can, you can go and read, you can find it online, um, by Rainer Maria Rilke. 
And that poem starts, and it talks about a storm, and it talks about the reality of storms to distort perspective. It says, the storm, the shifter of shapes. And life is full of those moments, isn't it, where there are storms. Storms that um, shift shapes, that ruin our perspective. And as the, the poem goes on, he then shifts and talks directly about the story that we just heard. And he turns the poet from thinking about the nature of storms to thinking about the nature of Jacob and his wrestle with the figure in the story. And so there's two ideas are held together in this poem, the storm and and Jacob. And so we're at a car park. Why are we at a car park? Because the guy that wanted us to take us to the very spot at the ford of the Jabbok River didn't know that actually you can't get there. (laughs) And there's just really sort of boring farming and then a military zone that's completely, because it's quite close to the Jordanian border. And as close as we could get was a car park. But when we got there, and he was about to read this poem and pray for us, what you can see behind you happened. Now, in the Northern Hemisphere and where we are right now, you think, well, those are grey clouds. I know all about grey clouds, Tim. They happen every day. No one had remembered a storm like this in this part of the desert. It was a kind of a once-a-generation thing. In fact, our tour guide told us all the sort of ge- geological, astronomical, what's weather, study of weather, whatever. Meteorological. Meteorological, there we go. He told, it was a once, everyone was amazed. No one had ever seen a storm like this. And so there we were, about to hear someone read a poem and pray for us about a storm and Jacob resting with the angel at the ford of the river Jabbok, which is directly beneath that grey cloud you see there. And it felt like quite a moment. I felt like maybe God was speaking to us. You can believe he wasn't, but you have to use a lot of faith to believe in coincidences like that. And at that moment, for all of us, there was, a, I think, a reckoning with these themes of a storm and Jacob wrestling with the angel. And the storm, the shifter of shapes, happens to all of us when life is distorted and, and distressed happens to, I know most of you very well, so I know the situations, I know at least two people in the room have, have moved house this weekend, I know that people struggle with jobs and health, so relationships break down, things get critical, uh, things distort and challenge and assault us. And then remember Jesus, there's a famous story of Jesus in the Gospels, where he calms the storm, do you remember, the disciples are on the lake, and that, that's where we went after this actually. And the storm suddenly appears. Mark's trying, it's a lovely translation in English. It says, a furious squall. Isn't that great? A furious squall, a sudden storm, just like this one, appeared. And Jesus is sleeping in the boat, and the disciples are distressed because how can you be asleep when we're about to drown? Jesus rebukes and calms the storm. 16th century poet George Herbert writes a poem about prayer, and he just lists, it's a list, it's a shopping list, would have been helpful for the ingredients, you had to do the question, if we just had a list of things, that would have been, at least that would have helped Becky, just a list of things. <laughs> anyway, it's, it, it's a poem about prayer, and it just lists things about, about prayer, and one of my favourite lines in it says, prayer is reverse thunder. It's reversed thunder. Proximity to Jesus is, is being able to move beyond the storms of this life. Prayer is like reverse thunder above every circumstance and every condition that affects who we are. 
prayer is reverse thunder and this life is full of storms, a shifter of shadows. But our proximity to Jesus as people of faith allows us to reverse the thunder, to see beyond. This story of Jacob is, is really, I think, an important story when we think about prayer. Prayer is diverse. There are many uh, types of prayer. There's some important aspects of, of this story about prayer. It's an ancient story. It comes to us from the Iron Age, of all kinds of facts that seem strange in our modern ears. But these stories are compelling. You might know that the psychologist and, and, and fairly notorious figure, Jordan Peterson, well, this isn't a defense or an attack of his work, but just an observation that when he became particularly famous, he was doing two-hour lectures on the Old Testament. Did you know that? That's how he particularly built up an audience. Two-hour-plus, at points, lectures on each part of the Old Testament. In fact, I think there are 38 lectures on the Old Testament that he does. And he's actually interested in the psychological dynamics. These stories, although come from a long time ago, carry incredible power, regardless of his interpretation, which some of it, I think, is, is, is interesting. Uh, these are incredibly powerful stories. The story of Jacob, this is the, the moment of, of, of really conclusion, the most dramatic moment. Jacob was the, the grandson of Abraham, and Jacob was a twin. And you might know if you were inflicted uh, sort of strange Sunday school experiences, you, you, may, you may have acted out different parts of the story, but it, it's Jacob who comes out grasping by his brother's heel. And from that moment on, he's a hustler. His name means trickster, manipulator, usurper, supplanter. Hustler is my favorite, but no, it doesn't say that in any of the theological books, but I, I just put in hustler. He's a hustler. His brother was, was born first, meant that he would get the inheritance, but even from the moment of birth, Jacob is grabbing onto his heel. He's hustling. And it goes on, and he, remember he hustles with the... Do you remember all that? I mean, a Sunday school, if any of you inflicted, the, the hair that you have to put on you, the strange stew that you make, and... What is potage? And you know, it was all really strange stuff. Um, anyway, he manages to steal and deceive from his brother and get the blessing that his brother deserved. And he has to escape because his brother's so angry he's going to kill him. And, and he, he goes with this blessing. So wherever he goes, he makes money and becomes wealthy. And the story that we just heard is the night before he's to meet his brother. It's the reckoning with his brother. He's become a wealthy man and he's freaked out and he tried to send gifts over to his brother across the river Jabbok, across from where you can see. And he's, he's there. And then, and then he comes to the moment where I can't do anything else. And he sends his wife and wives and all the possessions and everything over the Jabbok and he's, he's left alone. At this moment, he's at the end. He's at the end of his tricks and his hustle. Using Peter's translation of, of the beginning of the Beatitudes, where it says, blessed are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He, he interprets that as you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. When you're at the end of yourself, and just back to this story, this was the end of a long and complicated uh, couple of years, um, where, where things we were trying to do church-wise just weren't working. You know, really quite, if I'm honest, the way I would describe my emotion as I took this, this, uh, this photo in life was humiliation. That's how I felt, utterly humiliated by life. And I just had a bad bike crash. I really wanted to go on this trip. 
someone else was paying, and I thought, you know, free trip. So I tried to kind of convince myself that I wasn't still concussed. This was about uh, six weeks after the bike crash, but I was still really very concussed. Just about knew my name at this point. But I was at the end of myself, and I really was at the end of myself. Blessed are you when you're at the end of your rope. Less of you, there is more of God and his rule. And so often, you know, church, church and church leadership and the stuff that I do, it's not a defense against these moments of being at the end of yourself. It's not, uh, we're not immune to the struggles and, and problems of this world in the church and in Christianity. And I know in this room, many of us, situations in our lives that mean we're at the end of ourselves. No matter what it is, I want to say that that's actually an opportunity. It's not easy. But to be at the end of yourself is an opportunity. And the next thing about Jacob in this moment is that he's all alone. As I said, he, he, he sent over all his possessions and everything across the stream. So Jacob, at verse 24, was left alone. I don't know when you were last alone, really alone. So much of the economy around us is built on the idea that you're never really alone, because when you're not connected, you're not actually making money for someone. The attention economy means that being alone is a harder and harder thing, thing to facilitate in life. What happens when you really switch off? There's no phone to hand. No one else around, nothing to do. What thoughts come into your head? So much of Jacob's life had been about wealth and the gaining of wealth, and now he's got nothing. He's tried everything, but now faces his brother, the brother who would murder him and want to kill him. He can't manipulate, he's got no tricks up his sleeve, and so he's left alone. I remember once, somewhere else actually in the Middle East, uh, being in the desert in the middle of the night, and there was a, um, a full moon. And the person I was with didn't have faith. And it was one of the moments of, in my life where I was most wrestling with faith, and particularly with my mind that, that, that claims the Christian faith, whether I, I really believed them. And we were walking out in the desert, and when there's a full moon, it's strange because you can see everything. It's so lit up. You can't see the stars, which is also amazing in the desert, but everything looks like a sort of alien planet. But in the desert, you get this ringing in your ears. Has anyone ever experienced it? If you're silent for more than 20 minutes in true silence, you know actually your ears start to ring. They're not designed for it. It, fre it freaks out. And we were alone, and, and she was terrified, absolutely terrified, the person I was with. She found the aloneness of the moment completely terrifying. And it can be. But it's also an opportunity. Because in these moments of aloneness, our awareness, our awareness of everything increases. And the story goes on. Because a man here wrestles with Jacob till daybreak. And this mysterious figure is thought to be a manifestation of God or God himself, the pre-incarnate Jesus, but some presume. It says later in verse 30, Jacob called the place Peniel, saying it's because I saw God face to face. Jacob at least thought it was God he was wrestling. 
The word peneo literally means face. It's, in fact, the same word as presence in the Old Testament. Presence and face are the same. Jacob wrestles with God. He's at the end of himself and he's alone. And these are the conditions in which this encounter takes place. There's an aspect of prayer that I want to communicate that I think is transformative. When we are alone and at the end of ourselves. That's a fast bike, isn't it? Goodness me. Take it easy. Sunday night, chill out. He's wrestled with his brother all his life. He's wrestled with humanity. He's wrestled with himself. And now he wrestles with God. And in fact, it's not just he wrestling with God, but God who wrestles with him. Now, what's interesting is, is towards the end, the figure just touches his hip and, and wrenches it from its socket. So it's quite clear that the figure isn't actually finding the, the wrestling truly challenging. At any point, God can overcome Jacob. But in the wrestle, God comes, uh, Jacob comes to the very end of himself. In the wrestle, the trickster finds that he has nothing left to give, but is still holding on to something that's holding on to him. It is a moment of profound defeat. That's how I would describe becoming a Christian. I tried really hard not to be a Christian. I was rubbish at it, but I tried hard. I've grown up in the church, and in my small, boring Devon town, it had kind of gone pretty wild and tried not to be a Christian. I'd say I wasn't a Christian. I'd do things that weren't associated with Christianity. Let's just say that euphemistically. But then I would pray when I would get beaten up, or I would find the questions of Christianity haunting me. And the moment when I, I, I would say I sort of came to faith, well, it felt really just like giving up. C.S. Lewis describes the same. He was on a bus, top, top of a bus, and he, he said, I was the most reluctant convert in Britain. <laughs> when you experience you're being uh, overcome, the thing you're wrestling with is overcoming you. These moments of defeat are profound. And the poem that was read over us at that moment, let me find it. Winning does not tempt that man. This is how he grows. By being defeated decisively by constantly greater things. After wrestling with God and wrestling with his brother, wrestling with humanity, wrestling with himself. Now in this wrestle with God, Jacob is finally defeated. At the end of himself and alone, an encounter happens with God that's truly transformative, but the gateway is defeat. And he leaves changed. He spent his entire life grasping from the moment he's born, holding on to his brother's ankle. He grasps to get what he wants. He grasps at wealth and people. And now what he, he gets what he needs by being defeated. He's got what he wants by grasping and now he gets what he needs by being grasped by God and wrestled 
I remember what it was like when, when my dad, he, who are now I could definitely take, no questions, I'm, I'm sure of it, I could take him. But that experience as a kid of coming up against the greater force, and he would just kind of batter me to the ground, which I think I needed actually quite a lot. And I remember there's something between, that's like fear and also joy in those moments of being defeated. Why? Because I knew the love of my father. I knew what it was like on the side of a mountain in Scotland once when we walked down this gully and a wind came up that genuinely would have blown me away. And he took me under, literally under his coat and under his arm. And he's substantial, uh, let's say. So I knew we weren't going anywhere. But I kid you not, I, I remember just lifting up like this my feet. It was a remarkable moment. To be defeated... To know yourself won by God happens at these times when we are alone, when we're at the end of ourselves. Then we are defeated, and, and that leads to us being changed. A new name for Jacob, Jacob, who meant hustler. And like I said, that's my interpretation. Now it has this new name, Israel, name that gives to a whole people to be wrestled by God or overpowered by God. That's what the word means. His identity is as one who's been held to submission by a loving force, more powerful than his own schemes and his own tricks, better than the wealth and the product of all his trying. He's been defeated by an even greater thing, held by love in a moment of becoming. They're renamed from trickster. This new name gives this new identity because names carry the reality of who we are. And that leads to a new walk because he comes out limping. You know, and in Christianity, our weakness is an asset, but this is a special sort of weakness. We talk about how our vulnerability and our weakness allows us to carry God, but this is a weakness seemingly caused specifically by God. It's God who touches his hip and causes a slimp. Remember Jesus riding the donkey into, into Jerusalem. He's meant to ride a stallion, but he rides a donkey. It's a humble, a humble vehicle, let's say. The limps that God gives us in the Christian life keep us in a level of dependency and a level of humility, which means we never need to leave the side of our good father. We never need to leave the strength of the one that wrestles us to the ground. It's the limps that actually make us able to carry the name of God, to be Israel, those wrestled by God, to carry God. The Lord protect us. Right now, I know part of me, as we try and bumble away at times with church, trying to get things right, but making lots of mistakes. There's no danger right now, but Lord, protect us from ever getting too good, too polished, too complacent. It feels like a long gap from where we are right now, but anyway. But Lord, protect us from that. Keep us with a limp. Keep us with a limp. I want to be the kind of church that rides donkeys, not stallions. I don't want to make tricks and do deals just with, with human systems. I want to pray to God above the storms, see him move on this earth. I want to walk with a limp 
because I depend on my good father who's wrestled me to the ground. And I want that for this church and your lives. That we would walk with God. A new name leads to a, a new identity, a new walk. And it felt like the end for Jacob. This is the end of the road. I give up and tomorrow my, my brother will kill me. But in fact, it was the beginning of something. Because the reality is, God was walking with him. And, and, and the story the next day is a moment of beautiful reconciliation. Where Esau falls on his neck and kisses him just like the good father and the prodigal son as we looked at last week. But that's another story. It was actually the beginning. It was actually the beginning. It was the time of transformation. And I want to just hold out that to you as a journey. Blessed to you when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. If you're at the end of yourself, there's an opportunity for more of God and more of his rule. If at the end of your rope, if you're at the end of yourself with God, you're at the beginning of something new. And, and Jacob walks into that dawn with God. Don't know what it is for you. Maybe you're feeling fine and that's okay. But there'll probably be a few of us at least who are feeling right at the end of ourselves energy levels, health, relationships, addictions. They'll all be in this room. To come to the end of yourself and then to find yourself alone. And as we go from this place, we're going to pray now, but I want you to think about how you could become more alone with God. That's what we look at in our small group, Cedar, how you can build daily and weekly habits and rhythms to do this. Not just a dramatic one-off moment in the desert or something, but actually, how can you do this? Even if it's just nipping to a cubicle at your work, at your workplace, nipping to the loo, people might think you've got problems with your stomach, but you'll be receiving heavenly blessings. <laughs> it doesn't matter how, how you do it, but how can we build in aloneness? Because actually, I feel at the end of myself probably once a day. Most days, generally. Like this, I think the job of, of, of being a Christian definitely the job of Christian ministry. If you're not at the end of yourself, you're probably not listening to the words of Jesus because they can't really be done without God. The most honest prayer for me, well, I've got three. I pray lots of things. Some of them are honest, but the most honest, the ones that feel most instantly honest in my heart are help, sorry, and I give up. Help is the one that goes through the day from the beginning onwards. Sorry is the one that inevitably has to come up in my mind at some point during the day. And, and I give up is, is my prayer at the end of the day. Always. I'm not ashamed of that. I want to be someone who walks with a limp, who lives a life that's bigger than my own story and my own means, my own strength, that creates space that I would be wrestled by God to the ground in the arms of my loving Father and know a strength and a love greater than my own life. And I want that for you and I want that for this church. So get alone, give up. It's not the end, it's the beginning. In your defeat is the greatest victory of all, that you would be a child of God walking these streets at this time with the presence of God, the face of God. So we're going to pray in a moment.
My prayer is, is, is for your week, for your life. But I also want to pray that something happens in this particular time and place. A message like this feels natural after food poisoning. <laughs> but some of you, will, this will feel natural as well, because whatever's going on for you, you're like, oh, this is awkward, because I am at the end of my rape. I almost didn't come today. <laughs> I thought church would make it worse. Well, I want to pray it makes it better. There'll be those of us that this is acutely real for. And I'm going to ask all of us, I don't want, you know, it's not thousands of us here, I don't want anyone to feel exposed or embarrassed. But I do want to make space to pray for those who feel particularly, I am at the end of my rope. And the challenge to get alone isn't really possible, you know, right now, is it? It would be, I don't know how that would work, but it would be awkward if we tried. So let's recognize the strength of that in the rest of our weeks, but let's do the opposite for this time of prayer. Rather than get alone, let's take the opportunity to pray for one another. And in a moment, I'm going to ask Sam to come and play. And we're going to begin simply for all, all of those who want to just to receive God in this moment. You can stay seated as, as, as you are for now, but I, I want to encourage you, if you'd like to, and it's not just for those that feel that, yeah, I really am at the end of my rope, but for anyone that feels that sense of, yeah, I want to have that humility to walk with a limp, then I'm going to invite those of you that would like to just to, to nail Sam if you would come. Let me pray. <laughs>